Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Woo. I don't know y'all. I feel good. Amen. I thank God for each and every one of you. Uh, most importantly, I thank him for his word. Because his word is what we need. And I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. His word is what we need. Amen. It's a mirror. And when we look at his word, it shows us ourselves, and it should show us everything that needs correcting. Amen. Amen. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to hide it. Amen. Come face to face with it so that God can do a work in your life. Amen. This Sunday, God has given me the title, uh, Emotional Intelligence. Amen. Emotional Intelligence. Amen. And I came to this title. He allowed me. To come to this title, um, just this past week, just giving me the opportunity to share the gospel with people who either have um, switched religions, walked away from the faith, or are just struggling in their Christian faith, or just struggling with church, struggling with church people. Amen. And I thank God that he didn't allow me to... Um, Similar to what Sister Fallon said in Bible study, preach at them. Amen. But he allowed me to talk to them. Amen. Amen. And that's what, as Christians, that that's what we should be able to do. We should have emotional intelligence. Amen. We should not take it personal. Amen. When somebody is lost or somebody is struggling and try to force them, amen, to follow Jesus. We should just love on them and talk to them. Amen. And if we do it correctly, they will come to their own conclusion that Jesus is the answer. Amen. 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 And so as I go into this word, I hope this is exactly what you need. I mean, I hope it's for somebody. If you have been church hurt, amen, I, I, I want to apologize on the people. I want to apologize on behalf of the people that hurt you. Amen. But you might be saying, well, Pastor, you ain't do nothing to me. Amen. If they carry the name Christian and they hurt you, I apologize for them. Because I don't want that to be the cause of anybody, amen, walking away from the church. Amen. Amen. Emotional intelligence. Amen. Emotional intelligence is the capacity to be aware of, to control, and to express one's emotions. It also means that you have the ability to handle interpersonal relationships fairly and with empathy. So empathy is different than sympathy. Empathy means when you are coming in contact with a person or you have a relationship with the person, not only can you say, you know, you can kind of understand what they're going through. Empathy means you can feel what they're going through. When you have emotional intelligence, it means you're aware of your own emotions and you are aware of the emotions of others. It means that you are self-aware. It means that you 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 have that, that motivation piece is you know why I know why I'm interacting with you. I know why I'm in this room with you. I know I, I know why I'm on this job with you. I know why I'm in this marriage with you. Right. That, I, I understand the assignment. I, because, and because I understand the assignment, that's where my motivation comes from to get it right. It means you know how to self-regulate. You don't need alcohol. You don't need something else. 
You don't need shopping. You don't need a quick fix to settle you down or to calm you down or to get you in the right frame of mind. The Holy Spirit should be your self-regulator. It means you have social skills. It means you can go in a hostile environment and still get the job done. You can still make a difference. You can still make an impact. That's what emotional intelligence is. Jesus is the perfect example of emotional intelligence. When do you ever see Jesus lose it? Like, like when do you ever see Jesus lose it? Like, just go off. When do you see Jesus get out of character? Right? When do you see Jesus say something that he regrets? He's the perfect example of emotional intelligence. Jesus doesn't lose it during storms. Amen. He doesn't lose it during the last supper when he knows somebody getting ready to stab him in the back. He doesn't lose it in front of Pontius Pilate when he knows he's getting ready to be condemned for something he did not do and be crucified. He does not lose it on the cross. He's always self-aware. He always understands the assignment. He's always in right relationship with people. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' most animated moments, when we do see him kind of show some kind of sign of anger, and, and, and I want y'all to remember that I read to you Ephesians 4 and 26. It says, be angry, but sin not. Even when we see Jesus kind of lose his temper, he still doesn't sin. He still don't cuss nobody out. Amen. The times that we see Jesus most animated is when he's dealing with church people. The times when we see Jesus kind of get a little aggravated with people is when he's dealing with church people. Lord, I thank you. And the example that I want to use for y'all on this Sunday is where we see Jesus flip the tables. The word says, and they came to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple and he began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. They were selling doves because people could buy the doves and then go offer it as a, as a sacrifice. So just imagine if I if y'all came in here and then I charged y'all for me to pray for y'all. That's basically what they were doing. And that's basically what some of these churches do. They charge y'all to participate in service. Hallelujah. The word says Jesus would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. Right? And he taught, saying unto them, is it not written, my house shall be a called a house of all nations, the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it. And they saw how they might destroy him, and they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. So one of the very few times that we see Jesus get angry is because somebody, religious people, amen, religious people are making God's house to be ill-spoken of. And that's why I say I apologize. We interacted with a family member this past week who is struggling with her faith. And in talking to her, when we asked her why, 
she basically said nobody in the church could answer her questions. Nobody actually sat down and took the time to disciple her, to walk with her, to explain things to her, right? And then she began to see inconsistencies in these people's walk, these people who call themselves Christians, but then she saw inconsistency in their walk. And so because of all of that struggle and, and, and never really getting an answer about who God is and what God does, now she's struggling her faith and she's not the only one. She's not the only one. So I have a question. Why would Jesus show anger in this instance and not all the others? Right. Why were his most biting words reserved for the religious elite and not prostitutes and sinners? Why did Jesus just go off on people that he knew were in sin? Like you got caught in adultery. You over here living with a man that's in the woman at the well. You living with somebody that's not even your husband. Right. You out here begging. Right. You out here. You're a tax collector. Why don't we see Jesus lose his cool with these people? But with the religious people, he shows anger. The answer is Jesus had emotional intelligence. He understood what his relationship was to these different people. The religious people walked around as if they knew God, but they didn't. So Jesus knew, you don't want me. You just want the power and the privilege that comes from saying you a priest. But when he saw a sinner, when he saw a person who was confused or did not know where to go, he says, now that's something I can work with because they have a need for me. That's why Jesus say, I came to, like, I came for the sick. I came for the lost. I came for the brokenhearted. If you, if you don't have a need for Jesus, then it's, it's going to be hard for him to be your savior. Jesus is the perfect example of emotional intelligence. When we see John the Baptist in Matthew 3, the word says when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees come, they came to where John was baptized, baptizing. The word says, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. See, some people, quote unquote, follow God because they are afraid of the consequences. They know, okay, I'm living out of order, so I need to go to church. Or I need to do A, B, and C. Right? Because they're thinking that they're going to escape bad things. Or they just go to church or they do things so that they can continue to be blessed. Or probably in this situation, they were just nosy and they wanted to see what John was doing out there. Because John might take some of their followers. Right? In none of those scenarios did they come themselves to be baptized by John. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Why are you here today? Are you here to just check it out? Are you here to see what's going on? Are you here to compare this church to your church? Why are you here today? Why do you show up every Sunday? Right? Who has warned you? Right? Are you here because grandmama said you better do right? You got to be here. You got to want to be here. You got to want to have a relationship with God because you know you need God for you. Amen. And that's why so many people do walk away from the church because they're going for other people or they're going to make their situation change. They're not going to be saved. You got to show up to be saved. 
The word says when John saw these Pharisees and these Sadducees, he told them, bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Like, stop thinking, I know the word. Or I've been to church long enough. Right? John tells them, bring forth repentance. Every single morning you wake up, you should be saying, God, I thank you. I don't deserve to be here. It could have been another way. I'm sorry if I got it wrong yesterday. Help me get it right today. You know, I preached the sermon on the Lord's Prayer, right? I, I like, that's a prayer that you say in the morning, not at night. Like, give me this day my daily bread. Give me, give me my manner. Get me through this day, right? Allow me to, 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 to navigate temptation this day. Every morning should be a prayer of repentance, right? Because in the, in the 10th verse, in Matthew 3 and 10, John the Baptist tells them that every tree that does not bring fruit, an axe is laid to the root. The idea of fruit is essential to how God deals with people. One of the ways, like this is, a, this is emotional intelligence. One of the ways that you know that you are in right relationship with anyone, especially God, but anyone, your wife, your kids, your coworkers, one of the ways that you know that you are in right relationship with the person is the relationship is going to be fruitful. It's going to be mutually beneficial for both people, not just you. If you're the only person getting blessed, or if your person that you're dating or whatever, they the only person getting blessed and you're the only person getting drained, you're not in right relationship. Emotional intelligence says, even though it's going to hurt for me to cut this relationship off, I have to do it in order to bring forth fruit. Because eventually, eventually, if you're not in a right relationship, if you're not in a good relationship, an ex is going to be laid to the root of that relationship anyway. It's going to come to an end. You can either end it voluntarily or God going to end it. Lord, I thank you. The idea of fruit is essential to how God deals with people. In Matthew 12, verses 32-37, this is Jesus talking, and he says, Whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it should not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. He goes on to say, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit, or his fruit. Then he goes in on generation of Bibles. It's something when Jesus called you a snake. It's something when Jesus calls you a snake. I have been ministering so long that I can be talking to I remember, I don't know why this is the first situation that came to my mind, but I remember working in the high school, and this is before um, this is before all of the, all of the things with um, trans, like how it is now. This is early 2000s. And I remember this young man in the high school, he basically started dressing as a female in a time where it was not as popular as it is now. And I remember 
ministering to him. And I would rather be in the room and minister to him than be in a room with some of the grown folks who were quote unquote professional saying that they knew Jesus but I knew that they were doing underhanded stuff to other adults or to children. Well, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying What I'm saying is a tree is known by its fruit. The Holy Spirit allows you to know who's real and who's fake. So if you don't have him, your emotional intelligence is going to struggle. You're going to struggle with trust issues. You're going to struggle with letting down walls in your life. You're going to struggle with navigating who's for you and who's against you. You're going to struggle with, like, how, how do I go about being promoted or how do I go about the next step? You're not going to have good social skills. You're going to feel like you got to fit in and make it. Lord, I thank you. Jesus says, oh, generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of, out of the good treasure of his, of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures bringeth forth evil things. I told y'all last Sunday, stop looking on the outer appearance of people and start looking at their hearts. You can't be evil and say good things even when it sounds good, it's still bad. Because you're probably trying to manipulate somebody. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Even when an evil person, even when they're saying good things, it's still bad. Because they're saying good things to do something evil. Satan was the most beautiful angel in all of heaven. It wasn't a little red horns. Hey man, he was an angel of light. Stop thinking that evil always looks like evil. Sometimes evil looks like good. How can you know the difference? Emotional intelligence. The Holy Spirit will tell you the difference. Jesus said, I say unto you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof on the day of judgment. All these people who are standing up in church and saying that they know God and do not live lives that are pleasing to God, that are running people away from the church, that are causing people to waver and sway in their faith, are going to have to give an account. They're going to have to give an account. They are going to have to give an account. It wasn't the sinners that killed Jesus. Y'all realize that, right? It wasn't, it wasn't the sinners who said, we don't want to hear this gospel. We don't want to clean up our lives. We don't want to change. It was the church people that hung Jesus on the cross. Lord, I thank you. Jesus understood the difference between someone wrestling with faith and bound by sin and someone who was just pretending. He came to deliver people that are wrestling with faith, that are bound by sin, right? But for those that claim to know the scripture and were unable to produce real fruit, Jesus called them curse. Be careful that your Christian walk does not turn people away from God. Now, am I saying that you're responsible for everybody? Because some people just going to lie. Some people, no matter what you do, they still going to have a problem with God. Right? But at the end of the day, you have to have a clean conscience that I did all I can. It was never my intention to hurt somebody or make them walk away or to think ill of God because of how I behaved. Don't 
let your Christian walk turn people away from God. And a lot goes into that. There is a lot of duty attached to the name. And it's not just for pastors. It's a lot of duty attached to being called a Christian. There is a lot of responsibility attached to being a called a Christian. And it's not just for pastors and ministers. And see, some of y'all think that's, some, that's why some of y'all run from your calling. Because you feel like if you accept the calling, that there's a different level of responsibility. But holiness is just holiness. God say, be holy for I am holy. He didn't say, if you're a pastor, be holy. He told everybody be holy. So it doesn't matter whether you accept your calling or not. You're still going to be held responsible for the things that God called you to do, whether you do them or not. The easiest thing, the easiest thing to do is to just say, okay, I'm going to believe in God, but I don't have to represent him for real. As long as I don't get in nobody's way, right? As long as I don't get in nobody's way, I don't have to go around and broadcast that I'm a Christian. I can just go to church. I can sit on the back row. I'm like I'm in the safe zone. I'm in there, but I really don't have to represent his name. That would be the easy way to do because if you mess up, then nobody offended because they didn't know he was a Christian anyway. You see how sneaky that is? Right? But that's also the most cowardly Sneaky and lazy thing you can do. And it's in direct opposition of Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of, of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. People don't get saved from throwing scriptures at them. People get saved when they see the power of God working in your life. They say, that man, they're different. That lady over there walked different. She talked different. She calm. She, I see all this stuff happening, but something is different about her. Ain't no scripture went for. This person always check on me. No matter how many times I walk away. No matter how times I stray. Right? Even when I'm not all the way right, they still loving on me. That's what, that's the power of the gospel. That's representing Christ. Not wearing your, 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 your t-shirt, your church t-shirt, saying you a Christian, or throwing scripture at people, or telling people they're going to go to hell. And you might very well be in the word. It's some stuff that you do go to hell for. But you don't just lead with that. And you ain't walk with them. Before you tell somebody you in danger going to hell, you should have walked with them so in love that when they when you say it, they take you seriously because they know how much you love them. We have to stop expecting people to believe something they don't see being lived out. I can't expect y'all to believe what I'm preaching if you don't see me living it. You would be a fool to. You would be a fool to believe everything that I say. And that's the problem. A lot of people are following pastors and they're not following Jesus. They're following pastors and they're not following Jesus. And then when the pastor let them down, then when the pastor started picking favorites, then when the pastor got his crew, they like, whoa, but pastor, you forgot about me. When the pastor started acting like a man, then all of a sudden they take it out on God. In the Pharisees, in the Sadducees, we see a form of godliness. We see temple attendance. We see a knowledge of the scripture. We see obedience to rituals and routines. But we see extremely wicked hearts. Don't be that type of Christian. You got your church attendance. You know the word. You grew up in the church. You know what the word is saying. You got your rituals and routines. 
you know, what you should and should not do. With extremely wicked hearts, you gossip, you talk about people, you backbite, just nobody don't see it. So you still think that you're good. In Jesus, we see God interacting with people from all walks of life. We see him in their home. We see him on the Sabbath. We see him in the streets. We see him in Samaria. We see him everywhere in between. All the places that church people don't go. I told y'all about the man at my barbershop who said he wasn't going to work with the church because the church was unwilling to go to the neighborhood that he was ministering in. He wanted him to bring the people from the street to the church. And he said, no, the church should come to the street. That's what we see Jesus doing. Jesus went all out of his way to get to the woman at the well. And his disciples were like, why are you going that way? Don't you know you're not supposed to talk to Samaritans? But Jesus went all out of his way. And it wasn't for a group of people. It was for one person. Jesus said, I'll go all out of my way for you. When people say you are unworthy for me to talk to, Jesus says, I will still engage with you. Because Jesus has emotional intelligence. Ministering to somebody does not affect my holiness. You're not so dirty that I can't talk to you. If, you, if somebody is too dirty for you to talk to, if they too messed up for you to share the gospel with them, your holiness ain't strong enough. Your anointing ain't strong enough. Your faith not strong enough. Understand that God's emotional intelligence is extremely high. He knows exactly who he is. He has self-awareness. He knows exactly who you are and what you're going through. He has empathy. But those other three components that I had of their motivation, self-regulation, social skills, they are important as well, and they are demonstrated in John chapter 18. So before I get to John 18 and I'm done, in John chapter 17, Jesus says this, this, this awesome prayer in defense of his deity and the Trinity. And then by the time he gets to the 18th chapter, this is the most, the, well, the only one I found so far. I'm pretty sure there are others in here, but so far, this is the best example of emotional intelligence that I have, that I could, that I could find, or the first one that came to my mind. And this is on the night that Jesus was taken before he was crucified. This is John chapter 18, and it reads, it says, and Jesus had said this prayer. Right, so he prayed in 17, and he left with his disciples and went across the Kidron Brook. There was a garden in that place, and Jesus and his disciples went in. Judas the traitor knew where it was because many times Jesus had met there with his disciples. So Judas went to the garden, taking with him a group of Roman soldiers and some temple guards sent by the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were armed and carrying lanterns and torches. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward and asked them, who is it you are looking for? Their reply, Jesus of Nazareth, they answered, I am he, he said. Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said it to them, when he said to them, I am he, they moved back and fell to the ground. And I got in my notes, slow down and read the text. Have y'all ever read that they fell to the ground? Y'all ever read that part? He said, who you looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus say, I am he. Then the words say they fell to the ground. What? I ain't never read that part before. Slow down and read the text. They fell to the ground. Why? They asked, who is Jesus? Jesus' response was, I am. Let me see if y'all won't catch that. Jesus' response was, I am. Right? When I read it the first time, I thought he was saying, I am, amongst all of these people, I am Jesus. But that's not what he was saying. He says, I am the great I am. Who is Jesus? I am. Jesus is God. That, that shook me up. And that is why they fell to the ground. That's why they fell to the ground in his response. Because his response is, I am God. Who you looking for, Jesus? Right? Who, who is Jesus? I am. It's the same thing that Moses, in Exodus, when Moses said, who should I tell them sent me? God says, I am sent you. Jesus is declaring in that moment when people say Jesus don't call himself God, he just did it in the 18th chapter. But we don't catch it. Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. I'm him. I'm God. I'm the Savior. Right? Again, so they fell to the ground. Again, Jesus asked them, who is it you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Empathy. Jesus was still giving them an opportunity to repent and confess. If I had a, if I had a just fell to the ground involuntarily because somebody responded to me, I would have been scared. I would have been scared, but they didn't catch it. Y'all understand what I'm saying? If that power had a fell in that instance, I would have said, okay, this man here is different. I don't want nothing to do with this. So when Jesus asked them again and they responded the same way, Jesus realized, okay, they're not getting what I'm putting They're they not, they not picking up what I'm putting down. They ain't getting it. So he still shows empathy. He was still giving them an opportunity to repent and confess, but they didn't catch it. Again, Jesus asked them, who is it that you're looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I have already told you that I am he, Jesus said. If then you are looking for me, let these others go. He said this so that it might come true. Father, I have not lost even one of those that you gave me. This is a confidence statement. What do you mean this is a confidence statement, Pastor? This is why you can have confidence. When people, just like, just like um, Mike was saying, you got to realize that people are not mad at you. They're mad at the light that's in you. In this statement, Jesus is saying, if you're looking for me, if you got a problem with me, here I am. Don't mess with mine. You got to understand that a lot of the problems that people got with you is because you have the Lord and the battle is not yours. We don't serve a God who needs us to defend him. Let me say that again. We don't serve a God. How weak would God be if he was depending on us to defend him? And that's why when you're ministering to somebody, you don't have to beat them up in defense of God. You go in hell. Because my Bible says God don't need you to defend him. God know who he is. And what he says is what he means. He don't need little old you trying to be the, be the heavy. To be the backup, he don't need you to be the head. You defend God by living a life that's pleasing to God. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus 
never loses a sheep. That's why it's a confident statement. Jesus, the word says that he did this so that it will be fulfilled that I have never lost one that was given to me. Whoever, when you give your life to, to the Lord, you can't be lost. Who can take you out of God's hand? Nobody. Hallelujah. John 18, 10 and 11. And the word says, Simon Peter, the example of not having emotional intelligence. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck off the high priest's ear. Right? He, 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 he struck the high priest's uh, slave, cutting off his right ear. The name of the slave of Malchus, Jesus said unto Peter, put your sword back in its place. Do you think that I will not drink the cup of suffering which my father has given me? Jesus understood his motivation. Like, Peter, why are you trying to fight? Everything that's getting ready to happen to me, I got to go through it. How many times did you try to rescue somebody from their stuff? You got to realize that God loves them more than you love them. All you got to do is put the prayer into practice. All you got to do is walk the walk. All you got to do is talk the talk. And while they going through it, if it hurt bad enough, they're going to turn to God. And they're going to remember, well, I know sister such and such. I know she can get a prayer through. I know she real. And they're going to come right back to the place that you thought that they had forgot about. That's for y'all parents out here. Children just be cutting up. If you walk the walk, even if you have been doing it your whole life, you can start today. And God will radically transform you to where your children don't have no choice but to pay attention to the person that you become. When we read it in the other in the other gospels, that's this same account in the other gospels. This is Matthew 26. The word says, Then Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Emotional intelligence should tell you that this fight is too big for me. If I go out here and try to save the world, I'm going to die. If I go out here and try to save my whole family, I ain't going to make it. If you go out here just with a sword trying to misuse the word, right? Trying to manifest and prophesy even though you don't live the life. You just want to go out and declare and decree. You're going to go out there and get punched in the face. Right? And that's what Christians do. They go out swinging a sword, but no power, no real power, no real power. And then when they are faced with a true challenge or test, then they face all the way. Jesus said in the 53rd verse, he says, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall give me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. Jesus said, if I wanted this to end, if I didn't want this to go through, I could stop it. Right? But I'm self-aware. I know where I'm getting ready to lay down my life. I know what relationship, I know what's at stake. If I don't go through with this, then people are not going to have a savior. I understand, right? I know how to handle this situation. I'm surrounded by all these guards. I'm surrounded by all these people. Do y'all realize these people came out here with clubs? And spears and swords for one man, one little old poor man. That's how dangerous, that's how afraid of Jesus they were. That's how dangerous Jesus was. 
that you sent a, all these soldiers for one man, one unarmed man who has done nothing but sit, sit with the sick and the poor. That's how afraid they were of him. But he never came off as I beat your tail or do what I say because I'm God or just throwing the word around. The only people he did that at was church people. Hallelujah. Jesus understood the assignment. I'm coming in, church. Lord, I thank you. In Mark, the same account reads like this. The word says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you come out against the thief with swords and staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not out. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Jesus said, y'all could have taken me at any time. He said, y'all saw me walking the street. Y'all could have snatched me off the street at any time. But no, you got to sneak in the middle of the night and try to come and stop me. Right? Jesus was fully aware of who he was and what he came to do. Peter, on the other hand, was not emotionally intelligent. Jesus rebukes Peter and he ministers to the soldier instead. He gets on Peter, his disciple, for not being in control of his emotions and ministers to the person that's coming to take him to kill him. Come on now. That's emotional intelligence. And Jesus was able to do that because he knew what it was. He was like, Peter, just calm down. You're going to be all right because you have a relationship with me. Calm down and trust that I've taught you what to do and how to behave. You, you walk with me. You, you walk on water. You see me perform. Calm down. I'm concerned about the people that don't know me. And they don't need you cutting their ear off. They need you to minister to them. Stop being so quick to whip out your sword and defend the faith even though you don't understand the word enough to use it properly. It's just like a doctor. You ready to, I'm a doctor, I'm ready to operate. But you don't know how to do the procedure. A dentist can't do no heart surgery. But we walk around as Christians thinking, I'm a Christian. And then you try to go operate on somebody. And you don't even understand the word yourself to live it out fully like in your own life to be able to truly minister to somebody. Focus on love. And that way when it's time to cut, the person will voluntarily allow it. They'll come to you and say, sis, cut this off of me. I can't do this by myself. Bro, cut it. Like, help me. Take, cut. I need, I'm, I'm trying to get out of this situation. Cut this off of me. But if you just bust in their house, like, okay, I'm tired of this. I'm about to cut this off of you. Do you understand how offensive that is? All of this, all of these accounts, look at the social skills that God uses to navigate his surroundings. Jesus never uses words or actions that betray who he is. And that's how we have to live. Like, you should never, when people think of you, when people think of your name, when they think of who you are, 
they should be like, oh, that, that brother is solid. I have never seen him change. I haven't seen him, I haven't seen him quite like, you know, he had his ups and he had his downs, but he always stick with you. Like, he the same. He stick with Jesus. Even when he did it wrong, he always come back and apologize. Even when he make a mistake, if he ever stole something, he returned it. He always make it right. That's what emotional intelligence does. It allows you to repair what's wrong. Because you never, you're never worried about what other people think. You're only concerned with what God thinks. Amen. 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 Y'all come on and give the Lord a hand. Praise.